errors that take place, problems that take place within the church that, uh, that, that we got to deal with, don't we? And so we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians this year, and uh, they are fussing at me in the back, and uh, yeah, it's off, the batteries, it's not muted, I think the batteries are dead. So here's what we'll do, uh, we'll turn the pulpit mic on, all right? Plus... Plus, we all know that I'm not going to stay behind the pulpit mic, so I'll set this right here for when I decide to wander. All right. Here we go. Always something, isn't it? I have often joked that when the devil got cast out of heaven, he got cast into the church sound system. So, here we are. So, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. You've got to understand something about the city of Corinth this morning. The city of Corinth was a wicked, wicked city. It was full of filth. It was full of idolatry. Immorality abounded. And this church, the church of God at Corinth, was called to hold the light of Christ high in that darkness. By the way, we ought never whine or complain or feel bad that we are called to be a light in great darkness. We, we, our culture is full of great darkness today. But here's the deal. When you take a light and you put it in darkness, what does it do? It makes a difference. And so we ought not feel sorry for ourselves, church. Oh, it's so hard and it's so different these days. Who cares? Because Christ hadn't changed. This isn't different. It still makes a difference. Amen? And so this church at Corinth, yes, it lived in a wicked, wicked city, but it was called to be a, a light for Christ in that darkness. Now, the church of Corinth, we're going to understand some things about this church as we go through this book. It was a real church with real struggles. It was an incredibly gifted church. It was an ever-growing church. But it was also a grossly carnal church. You see, what we're going to find is that the problem doesn't occur from the reality that the church is in the world. There are some that think that we've got to take the church and we've got to, in essence, build the compound and isolate and it's us four and no more. By the way, that's not the gospel message. We're not called to circle the wagons and, and isolate and hold the fort. The problem is not that the church is in the world. The problem occurs when the world gets in the church. Think of the analogy of a boat. The problem isn't that the ship is in the water. The problem is when the water gets in the ship. And so we see very early on in this book that this is God's church. This is God's people. That this is God's work. But before the Apostle Paul gets to some of the specifics about who they are, what they're doing well, what they need to work on, the Lord is opening this letter by revealing to them some foundational truths that are necessary to being the church He desires us to be. And so this morning, I want to look at these nine verses, and I want us this morning to pull out and be able to look at, be challenged by the gap between grace and glory. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 1. We'll read verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all them in every place uh, that call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. I want you to notice first this morning the grace. 
the grace that we see here. Very simply, the grace. We have an invitation, if you would, to come and to see and to appreciate what God has done. Paul, in his opening, he, he, he refers to the grace of God and he, that he declares that the, the Christians at Corinth and really the Christians uh, all over the world are sanctified by God. That God has sanctified, he says in verse number 2, those who come to Christ in faith. Well, what does sanctified mean? That word sanctified, it literally means to be set apart. And biblically, the teaching of sanctification, it teaches us that we are set apart to God from the world. We are set apart to God from the world. This is true of every true Christian, and this is true of every true church. I think marriage is a beautiful illustration of what being sanctified, set apart means. So you think about someone who takes marriage vows. Back on August 15th of some year in the late 2000s, 2009, right? Good. Uh, August 15th, uh, I and my wife, we looked at each other and we said, I do. At that point, we became husband and wife. I got the metabolism blocker on this finger and uh, we got to enjoy our new life together. But what happened when we got married, what happened was I was set apart to her and from everyone else. By the way, it, it takes both sides. So you see, if, if I was set apart to her and I said, you know, baby, I love you and I'm going to dote on you and I'm going to make you my princess. But, uh, you know, from time to time, I, I, I may want to flirt with other people. That's not going to fly. The opposite would be true if I said, baby, I promise till death do I part because we both know I'm going first. There is nobody else. I don't know if she realizes, you laugh at that. I don't know if she realizes, I've asked her a couple times, what are you doing for the rest of my life? But, because uh, again, I know I'm going first, but at any rate. I said, baby, for the rest of my life, there is no other woman for me. But then I come home and I ignore her. I just sit on the couch and I watch my football and I do my thing and I play my hobbies and I ask for things from the refrigerator and I just neglect her. Well, that wouldn't be what I'm called to either, is it? See, I am set apart to her and from the world. You see, when we get saved, when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ, in God's grace, He sets us apart. He sets us apart from the world. He calls us out. And He calls us to Himself. That's why the church is referred to as the Bride of Christ. That's why in the Bible, when it talks about Christians who want to dabble in the world, do you know what it refers to it as? It refers to it as spiritual adultery. James 4 and verse number 4, look at it for yourselves. James writes this, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world, the system of the world, the ungodliness of the world, whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Why? 
Because God in His grace at salvation, He picks us up and takes us out of the world. He brings us from death to life. He brings us from darkness into light. And He brings us out, sets us apart from the world and to Himself. And as the Bible talks about uh, those that are sanctified, present tense, it describes our positional righteousness in Christ Jesus. I am righteous before God because I am set apart in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21 says this, For he hath made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Church, I remind us this morning as we open this study of 1 Corinthians that the only way for sinful man to be right with a holy God is to be in Christ. Is to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14 in verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Few will come to the Father but by me. Is that what the Bible says? It's not what the Bible says. By the way, that's why it's important that you have your Bible, that you read your Bible, that you see what's up on the screen, because there are preachers that would say that nonsense. The Bible doesn't say, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Few come to the Father but by me. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does it say? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is only one way for sinful man to be right with a holy God. And it's not through baptism, and it's not through the church, and it's not through good works, and it's not through good intentions. And it's not through your mama or your daddy or your grandma or your grandpa. And it's not by any of that. It is but by the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross of Calvary. The Apostle said it clearly, Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved we see the grace of God here that he sanctifies he sets apart those who come in faith to the Lord Jesus and by the way that ought to form our identity it helps to know who you are there's a lot of people in this world who don't have any idea who they are I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're a Christian, you best know who you are. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, i got good news for you. You're not who you used to be. I love what Paul says later in this book, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And some of us hear that list and we hang our head and we think, Oh, well, you know, I just no the bible says if you trusted jesus christ as your savior that the moment you come to christ 
Everything changes because he looks at these people. This was a real church with real problems. But he says, and such, what is that? Were. Past tense. Such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you come to Christ, he changes everything. Thank God for His saving grace this morning. This grace changes everything. I'm no longer slave to sin. I'm no longer a child of the devil. When I come to Christ, I'm a child of the King. Thank God for His grace. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who claim to be in Christ who still look at themselves as what they used to be. Hear me. If you're saved this morning, if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you are not who you used to be. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are justified in the sight of God. You are a member of the family of God. The grace of God changes everything. You say, preacher, why are you spending so much time here? Number one, because there's people who need to hear about the grace of God. Some probably, even some this morning under the sound of my voice, or in their mind, they think they've gone too far. They think they've done too much. They think they're just, they're just too bad. Hear me. It doesn't matter what you've done, because I know what he's done. And what he has done is greater than what you have done. Grace that is greater than all our sin. If you're here this morning without Christ, I'm going to tell you it doesn't matter what you've done. He stands ready to receive you and to forgive you and to adopt you into his family. If you will but come to him in faith. Preacher, why are you spending so much time here? Well, because I believe that so often we as a church and we as Christians are way too quick to get over God's grace. We can sing a song like Amazing Grace to it. We ought marvel every day at the grace of God and what He's done for us. So as we look here at the church of Corinth, we see Paul begins to to pull out to this church and begins to show the church the grace that God has given to them. They are sanctified. They are set apart by God. They are saved. That's not all. Look with me beginning in verse 3. He says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Paul here begins to lay this foundation for this church about who they are and what God is doing, he, he 
starts with grace, and we've always got to start with grace, amen? We can't start any place but grace. If we try to start any place but grace, it's all going to fall apart. So Paul starts with grace, and Paul moves on from grace. I love this. He moves from the grace that God has given to the guarantee that God has given. Did you notice verse number eight? Paul says, who shall also confirm you unto the end. And so when we consider grace, it's an invitation to come and see what God has done. When we come to the guarantee, it is an invitation that we might come and see what God has determined. Here when the Bible says that we are confirmed unto the end, this is legal terminology that guarantees a settled transaction. The transaction is done, it is paid in full, receipt received, it is legally binding, it is as good as finished. When Paul says that we are confirmed unto the end, boy, it is a term with legally binding consequences. In other words, those who are saved and sanctified will be glorified with Christ. It is as good as done. Romans 8 and verse number 30 puts it this way. Romans chapter 8. I don't think I gave you that one. So we're just throwing all sorts of curveballs this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30. Here's what the Apostle Paul has to say. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them them he also called. And whom he called, them he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and he talks about not only shall we be confirmed unto the end, but we are confirmed unto the end that we may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless, it means more than just an acquittal. It means more than just a pardon. It means even more than just a not guilty. Blameless has the idea that it is the absence of of a charge. I think a good illustration of this is Teflon. If you ever had Teflon coated pans, nothing sticks. And so when Jesus Christ comes again, the guarantee that we have is that we are confirmed unto the end. And even though the devil may try to rear his ugly accusations, for those of us who are in Christ, to those of us robed in Christ's righteousness, here's the guarantee. Nothing sticks. This will be our reality in the day of the Lord. This will be our reality. We will stand before him clean and righteous. And there is coming a day when grace will turn to glory. You know the guarantee we have, church? It's simply this. We win. We win. We win. We win over every sin. We win. We win over every sorrow. We win. We win over even death. Why? Why is that the case? We win because he won. Because he won. John put it this way in 1 John 3 and verse number 8. He that committeth sin 
is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I love the promise we have in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 26, where the Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We win. Truly, the gates of hell do not prevail against his church. We will stand before him without spot or stain. And I'm going to tell you, church, that's a good guarantee. But you know the key to this guarantee, we find it in the first three words of verse number nine. Church, what is the key to this guarantee? Let's read it in unison together. The key is what? Simply that God is faithful. How many of us are glad this morning that God doesn't give up on his children? How many of us are glad this morning that he doesn't throw the clay away? How many of us are glad this morning that he is a good father and he is a patient father and that he, he not only loves us, he likes us. God doesn't give up on his children. How many of us are glad this morning God doesn't let go of his children? I heard this analogy and I loved it, that God would no sooner walk away from his child or his church than a mother would walk away from her newborn child on the delivery room floor. God doesn't give up on us. We have been called into fellowship with Christ. Verse number nine, it refers to that fellowship with Christ. That idea is the idea of shared life. What do you mean? Well, as we are in Christ, we walk in his life. He lives in our life. What happens? We are enriched by him. Verse number five, that in everything you are enriched by him in utterance and in all knowledge. Aren't you glad God gave us both? Because there's a lot of people who have a lot of utterance with no knowledge. But God gave us both. And we are enriched in him. Hey, we're equipped by him, verse number 7, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus. We are equipped by him. We are established by him who shall confirm you unto the end, even as we are expectant of him. I love the guarantee. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, the Bible says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has given us all that we need to walk this life with him until we reach that day when he makes all things new. What a good guarantee. Now that doesn't mean life is always easy, right? But here's the thing, when I keep this guarantee in mind, I can handle just about anything when I know there's an expiration date. I can handle just about anything when I know there's an end. I can remember a number of years ago when, when our family went through that awful battle with cancer, and I, remember, I can remember counting down those chemo treatments. That was bad stuff. Wasn't a fan. 
And I can remember counting them down. I got this many left and this many left and this many left and this many left. And I think I've told it before. You're probably going to think less of me, but I'm going to throw it out there and we'll see what happens. So I, I, I'd like to say that when like, I, I walked in, I walked into that last chemo treatment. I was, I was ready to go. We're going to get it done. And I walked out. I, it was winter, so I flipped the hoodie up on my, on my jacket because I was cold. And, and it probably would have been good if, uh, if, if I had had something spiritual going through my head like victory in Jesus. That, that's, that's not the case. I had the theme song from Rocky, I Had the Tiger, going through my head. Yeah, we did it. We did it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can handle just about anything when we know there's an expiration date. Something about knowing that it doesn't last, that it's not always going to be like this, that there's an end in sight that makes it bearable. You know, we're called to bear different crosses. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but aren't you glad, church, that we have the guarantee that there's coming a day when we can lay down those crosses and take up a crown. Aren't you glad there's coming a day when sorrow will have an expiration date? Aren't you glad there's coming a day when sin's going to have an expiration date? Aren't you glad there's coming a day when struggle and separation are going to have their expiration date? John the Revelator wrote in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and shall be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Aren't you glad there's coming a day when we will lay down our cross for a crown? Paul goes so far in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 as to say that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Hey church, let's praise God for his guarantee this morning. Hey, church, let's press forward based on his guarantee this morning. Never lose sight of what God has done. We are sanctified, amen. Never lose sight of what God has determined. We are confirmed unto the end. Hallelujah, we have a guarantee that changes everything. I want you to see one more thing this morning. You're listening so well. Go back with me to verse number 2. The Bible says, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints. We've seen the grace of God. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God this morning? We've seen the guarantee of God. Aren't you grateful for the guarantee of God this morning? But between grace and glory, there's a gap. 
between grace and glory, there's a gap. Now let me start this morning, or start this point by pointing out that what I'm about to say is for those who've made the decision to receive the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. So this, this would not apply to someone who, uh, in the moment, has, has not received the Lord Jesus personally as their Savior. I'm going to tell you, you become a Christian not by believing that there is a God. The Bible says even the demons believe that there is a God. That doesn't do it. Uh, being a Christian this morning is not about believing that there is a God. It's, it's not about going to church. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's, it's not about doing good. Being a Christian is coming to see that my sin has separated me from God. And my sin has separated me from God. I can't get to Him on my own. There, there is no good deed that I can do to bridge the gap that I have created. But the good news of the gospel is simply this, that since I couldn't go to Him, He came to me. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the good news is that since I couldn't go to Him, He came to me. The good news is that though the wages, the penalty, the consequence of my sin is death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. I deserve not just to die physically, but to die spiritually forever in a place called hell. But the good news is that though I deserve death, he died my death that I might receive his life. The good news this morning is not that I can go to a church or join a church or get baptized or do good things, but that I can turn from my sin. And I can turn to the Savior and by faith receive Him and what He's done for me. And the Bible simply says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In a few moments we're going to have what's called a time of invitation. And if you're here this morning and you've never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to receive Him today. Come get my attention. We'll have somebody take God's Word and show you from God's Word what God has done for you. But this isn't for those who don't know the Lord. I'll go so far as to say this. What I'm about to say in point three here really isn't those who aren't, it really isn't for those who aren't striving to live for God either. If you've settled, if you've soured, if you've slid back in your Christian life, you're not really going to get what I'm about to say. But this is for those who, who are striving to live for God, who know Him and, and, and are striving to live for Him. We're going to talk for a few moments this morning about the gap. Because you see, between here and heaven, between grace and the guarantee, there's a whole lot of living left to do. And that little phrase in verse number two, it caught my attention. He talks about, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Hmm. It draws my attention really to the gap that exists. The gap that exists between my position in Christ. I have the righteousness of Christ to my account. 
My promise to be with Christ and like Christ, uh, between my position in Christ and the promise to be with him, how many of us know that uh, life isn't always pretty? I mean, even that term saint, it has the idea of set apart or holy one. It just feels weird, doesn't it? I mean, if I were to say Saint Frank. Better yet, Saint Bill. Saint Sam, you seem to be enjoying that one. Notice I'm only picking on men, right? So it just sits funny, right? I mean, would you ever introduce yourself to somebody? Hi, I'm Saint so-and-so. I don't know that I would. It just, I, it doesn't feel like what I really am. Why? Because there's a gap. There's a gap. It's a weird fit because I know me. Because I live every day in the gap between his grace and guarantee. You see, I know my struggles. I know my sins. I know my strongholds. I know my doubts. I know my difficulties. I know my discouragement. I know my own frailties and failures and fears. I know the struggle that goes on inside between wanting to perfect holiness and the pathetic hypocrisy of wanting others to think I have it all together. There's a gap. I know the gap that exists between where the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and the, but I thought, I thought I had more time. I thought this person would be with me longer. I didn't think this season would end this way. There's a gap. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes living in the gap like we do every day, there is a tension in the gap that honestly we have a hard time reconciling sometimes. I want to encourage you this morning, you're not alone in the gap. The Apostle Paul said of himself in Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse number 18, he said, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil that I would not do, well, that I do. Now, if I do that, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He says, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, oh wretched man that I am. See him banging his head against the wall. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Called to be saints. We are called to be saints. And if we looked at the grace and we see what God has done and we look at the guarantee and we see what God has determined, could I submit this morning that we look at the gap and we come and see what God is developing?
You know, practically what happens to us in the gap? Really, probably one of two things. Number one, we can be discouraged by guilt. And by the way, we do really, really well at that. I I think the verse that I dislike, I have historically uh, disliked the most, and I know that sounds weird, but you'll you'll get me in a minute. Uh, James chapter 4, where the Bible says this, verse number 17, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And every time I hear that verse, I'm reminded in my own heart and mind how I don't measure up to everything I know. See, the problem isn't what I don't know. The problem is what I do know that I ain't doing. Right? And so, so often we get this tension in the gap. And what happens? We get discouraged by guilt. I'm not the man I need to be, the woman I need to be, the husband I need to be, the father, the, 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 the wife, the mother. I'm not the Christian. I'm not, I don't study enough. I don't do this enough. I don't do that enough. And we, 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 we get all this guilt and we feel bad and we feel sorry for ourselves and we feel stuck or we give up. And, you know, that's one of the reactions we can have to the gap is we can be discouraged by guilt. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you about something, you need to respond. But the difference between guilt and conviction is this. Guilt makes you want to go, oh, woe is me. I'm just, oh, I'm so sad, not worth anything. Conviction draws us back to Christ. Conviction draws us back to, oh, Lord, you know what? You're right. Lord, you're right about that. I need to get that right. Lord, let's make this right right now. That's the difference. Guilt makes you sulk in yourself. Conviction draws you to the Savior. And so you know what? As we live in this gap, many are discouraged by guilt. But we do have another option. We don't have to live discouraged by guilt. We can choose to engage the process and be encouraged by growth. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 18, the Bible says this, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and knowledge. In other words, I need to get my eyes off myself and put them back on my Savior. I need to get my focus off of my deficit and put them back on His direction. I'm going to make a statement and then I want to illustrate illustrate it here this morning. So I'm going to need a volunteer. The statement is simply this, church, don't, don't, don't hate the gap because the gap keeps us growing. Don't disdain the gap because the gap keeps us growing. What's my mission here? My mission here in this life is to follow Jesus, right? I need some help. But Laura, would you come here? You get to be Jesus this morning. No pressure. You lead the way, sir. So here's what happens. You know, there's a gap. You can pause right there. There's a gap between me and Jesus, right? I'm not like him yet. Hey, one day when I awake in heaven, I will awake like, we we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That day is coming, right? But that day is not today. Today I live in the gap. So here's what happens. I, again, I can see the gap and I can be discouraged by guilt. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not like Christ yet. I'm not what I need to be. I, I, I'm, he's still working on me. Amen. Or I, can be, or I can be engaged in the process and encouraged by growth. But here's what happens. You know what? I'm going to take a step closer to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He continues to lead the way. And then 
I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to do what? Continue to lead the way. And then you know what? I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to lead the way. And I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to lead the way. Hey, you, you getting it? I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to lead the way. I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to lead the way. All right, we're getting it now. I'm going to take a step towards Jesus. And Jesus is going to continue to lead the way. Now, here's the thing. I can get right here and say, oh, I'm not like Christ, and oh, it's never going to be in this Christian life. It's just impossible, and I'm just going to give up, and I'm never going to be the man I need to be or the woman I need to be, and I'm never going to, and we can do it, and we can be discouraged by guilt. Or you know what? It's good for us every once in a while to look back and be encouraged by growth. Hey, I'm not yet where I'm going to be, amen, but I'm also not where I once was. I'm also not where I once was. And you know what? I'm going to take a step towards Jesus and he's going to do what? He's going to lead the way. And I'm going to take a step towards Jesus and he's going to do what? Lead the way. And by the way, this ought to happen every single day until we awaken his presence. Amen. Thank you, Brother Laurel. The grace... The guarantee, the gap, the gap, church, keeps us growing. I love the statement, it's not original to me, but the statement, the man or woman who follows God, who walks with God, will always reach their destination. Boy, that's good. And the Christian life really is that simple. The man or woman who follows God, who walks with God, will always reach their destination. Why get discouraged by how far I have left to go when I can be encouraged and motivated by how far He has brought me? The grace, the guarantee, the gap. Now, the church and Christians at Corinth, they had problems. <laughs> Starting next week, I mean, Paul, Paul moves out of this real quick, and we start dealing with some, I mean, some rubber meets the road stuff next week. The church and Christians at Corinth, man, they had problems. But you know what? The church and Christians here in Klein had problems too. We are not a perfect church. We are imperfect people who come together to worship a perfect Savior. But we see here in this introduction some foundational truths about being the Christian and church God has created us to be. We're not going to get there without His grace. We're not going to stay without that guarantee. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to grow unless we mind that gap like we need to. Jesus changes everything. Have you ever met somebody in this life that just changed everything? This week, I was taking the kids out to school. And before I left the house, I stuck my head back in the door, and I gave my wife a, what I thought was, a, was an appropriate 
kiss on the lips. To which one of my daughters goes, oh, I just don't even know how you can do that. I mean, your, your, your mouths and your lips and your, oh, like, like. How? How? I don't, even, she, I don't even know how you bring yourself to do that. And so on the way to school, I said, baby, I used to feel just like you. In kindergarten, I would argue and say I would never get married. No, not me. I said, then, baby, I met somebody that changed everything. You ever met somebody that changed everything? Hey, church, Jesus changes everything. If you're here this morning, I don't know what stage of life you're in. I don't know your struggle, but I know the key is Jesus. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has determined. Come and see what God is doing. God is faithful. He won't fail to work for you. He won't fail to work in you and through you. He won't fail to bring you safely through to the other side. Oh, this morning, the invitation. As we consider the grace, the guarantee, and the gap, would you choose Jesus? Would you chase Jesus? Would you cherish Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, would you receive Him today? In just a moment, we're going to stand with heads bowed, eyes closed. I invite you to just get my attention. We'll have somebody take God's Word and show you how you too can know you're a child of God. Christian, this morning, would you respond to the Holy Spirit? Some of us have been stuck in that gap. Some of us have been discouraged by that gap. Some of us have have, have lived in it and sulked in it for so long. Here's the thing. We're not going to get out of that gap on this side of eternity. But let's learn to embrace the process. We are never going to get His product without the process. Would you choose Jesus today? Heads bowed, eyes closed, standing together if you would.